Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. For a whole other dimension of movie and TV news, access the Middle Seats podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm the soul of this great organization known as the Middle Seats podcast, Mr. Andrew Ogier. Let me take you to my friends who are our co-hosts this wonderful journey that you decided to join us on life is worth living when you're around this guy nate lungarini <laughs> how do you doing everybody good to be with you uh excited for this this record which should be a nice wholesome podcast yeah we'll see five seconds later when he talks it's like hearing an untuned trumpet and a jazz quartet screwing up a beautiful orchestra mr jay kensler <laughs> You know, if you knew me, you could have had a really good joke there. I played trombone for like three years in middle school band. Did you really, though? <laughs> I, from what I've heard, you didn't do a lot of like actual learning yeah. in that class. <laughs> so you do know me. Uh, yeah. If if I ever saw this man again, I would sincerely apologize for ruining his life. But uh, no, it, we basically were there to screw around and get out our middle school buffoonery during his class. It was really It was really something to watch, honestly. You're not a minor anymore. He could punch you. Yeah, he probably would. <laughs> By the way, Nate, don't think I didn't see what you did. You knew what was coming next. We do this every episode. You set us up with the wholesome and then knew I was going to tear it down immediately. Shh, it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> a secret that we put on mic every week or every other week at this point. Yeah. Right. Well, 40-something episodes have passed and you have arrived at the Middle Seeds podcast. As we said, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Here's what's going to happen this time out. Our show is divided into three segments. Our first topic is Lobby Talk, where one member of the crew pitches a topic that you would talk about in the lobby of a movie theater. Remember those movie theaters, guys? Sure don't. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, then we move into our news segment. We have three things of news, two very juicy trailers we want to talk about as we turn our horizons towards the movies of 2021. And then we go back a little bit in time to the movies of 2020 and talk about one of the biggest movies that did actually come out this year, not in the way that people thought it was going to, but we get to talk about Pixar's Soul, which is a big one that I know was on my calendar and I'm sure was for the gents here as well. So let's go to something that is worth our time, Jake's Lobby Talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. So basically what I was thinking in honor of you know, reviewing Pixar's new movie, Soul, is pitch a Pixar movie. You know, what would you pick? They're so creative and they're so really revolutionary with almost everything they come out with in one way or another. What kind of topic or concept would you really like Pixar to uh, to tackle next? Um, and I guess I'll begin since it was my idea. I think in the age of, you know, mental disabilities and different kinds of psyche are coming out, you know, like anxiety and depression and stuff are really, really well-known or a big focus point for society. I would love to see Pixar try and tackle something like that, but also go a little bit further, like mood disorders, even like bipolar, the like autism spectrum with Asperger's and stuff like that. Because there's a, there's a lot of kids out there who don't always feel seen or heard. And I feel like Pixar would actually be the absolute 
perfect place for that to really move forward. And they're so creative and so inspiring that I think they would really just do an incredible job. Like even horror movies like Hereditary have done some kind of mental illness metaphor. And there's a lot of it out there coming out now. And I really think Pixar could just do a beautiful job. I don't know that I would want to see it in a superhero form because one, the Incredibles exist, but two, that feels kind of like a cliche, you know, pairing some kind of, you know, autism-esque kind of thing with superpowers, I feel like tends to be the go-to. So I would let them handle that, the brilliant brains over at Pixar, but I would really, after seeing all the stuff they can do with Soul and Inside Out and frankly like Toy Story, I would love to see them tackle something like that. I think it would really be an exceptional kind of concept for some people. A lot of crossover in the audience between Hereditary and Pixar movies. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Only a little bit different. I'll, I'll be the person who needs to watch a Pixar movie after seeing a horror movie, so I'm all on board for that. <laughs> <laughs> to cool you down. Disclaimer, I'm not recommending Hereditary to you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm totally um, on board for uh, the autism uh, character there, Jake. I think that's something that would be really cool to see in a children's movie, just so that way both kids and adults kind of have a new perspective on how to interact with those types of people in real life. You know, that's good life lesson skills right there. Yeah, You know who does a really good job at portraying autism for uh, children? Sesame Street has a character that they added a couple of years ago that mm. very much touches on that. Um, so that's obviously for like very young children, but it's a good right. way to indoctrinate it. I think it's valuable to kind of define what we're talking about when we say a Pixar movie because Jake hit on it there. They take these concepts that seem like it's a DreamWorks movie or it's an Illumination movie, but they imbue it with something really adult. And mental illness is one that I'm, if we haven't gotten there yet, we're getting there because it's a natural progression from Inside Out to Soul to this, especially with Inside Out being so much about emotions, but emotions for like a well-adjusted person, somebody that doesn't have major strife. So I think, Jake, that that is definitely a concept that not only is plausible, but is inevitable in the next five to ten years that they're going to tackle. I've already heard that Inside Out, um, in some cases, like with really young kids in school, they'll use Inside Out to kind of help them identify feelings in school. That, that, to me, that's brilliant. So if they could take that a step further, I would love to see it. And you know what? Actually, we were, we're talking about Inside Out and Soul, but... The natural progression, and it's not one of the most beloved, but the natural progression when talking about disability in Pixar movies is Finding Dory. Because Finding Dory is so much about Dory overcoming her issues to try and figure out some kind of semblance of her past. And there's all those other animals that have the other, or not animals, sea creatures that have issues um, within the Marine Biologist Center. So that's a very basic version, I think, of what you're talking about. And I think they could apply it to human characters going forward at some point. Yeah, totally. Uh, Nate, you want to go next or you want me to go? Uh, sure, I'll go next. Okay. Uh, so I was catching up on my Pixar during quarantine and I finally saw The Good Dinosaur. Um, it was just one of those that <laughs> slipped me through theaters. And after seeing that and Soul, it confirmed what we already knew that Pixar's just getting so good at your landscapes and your background details, your world environments. And I just want their next project to focus on exploring what you can do with that, specifically their nature stuff. So like, I'd love to see, maybe not the main characters, but at least 
central characters to the plot of their next movies be these giant, like, colossal nature beings. I'm thinking, like, the the Torterra from P- Detective Pikachu or uh, maybe, like, even, like, the Stone Giants from Frozen 2. Um, I want to see something big and bold that doesn't look as cartoony as their main characters usually are. I think that'd be really at least beautiful Ooh. to see. I like it. And then I want to explore another kind of dynamic with its main characters that we hadn't seen before. So I wanted to focus on a brother and sister in the next movie. We've seen family, but I want specifically the sibling rivalry. And I was thinking that like maybe the plot can involve like a hole that goes through time. The brother and the sister are trying to make like the biggest imprint on the world over the course of centuries where you can see these giant colossal beings change their shape. But just seeing how little things grow over time, I think would be really cool to explore. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like evolutionary. Yeah, exactly. That's that's cool. I haven't thought of the brother sister angle because, I mean, obviously Onward is about two brothers uh, and there are elements of the brother sister rivalry in The Incredibles. But that's a new dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I want that like specifically the main focus for sure. And I want this to be kind of set up the way that Prestige is, um, the Christopher Nolan movie, where you're constantly switching which character you're rooting for. Um, I don't want it to be just like, all right, the boys are going to side with the boy character and the girls are going to side with the girl character and just like that's how personalities work. I don't want that. I want people to see each other through each other's shoes over the course of time. I think that'd be cool. Boy, if people at home are playing middle seats bingo, they are very close. They need one more. We've we've got an Incredibles reference. We've got a Christopher Nolan reference. <laughs> we have a Hereditary reference. Like, we're not even past lobby talk. We got the free space, and then we're just going to have to mention something else later. But I like that. The shifting perspective, not that there is one definitive main character, mm-hmm. not one definitive person you're rooting for. Yeah, I really like both of – are you tying – you're tying in those concepts? It's a brother-sister rivalry with these – monumental, larger-than-life kind of creatures. Yeah, like maybe the giant colossal creatures are the ones that can send the brother and sister back through time and they have like a neutral relationship with the two of them and they don't really have a stake in whatever competition the brother and sister are in. I kind of want to watch this now. Like, I'm like waiting for a release date. (laughs) That sounds really interesting. (laughs) You and I are similar like that. We were unfortunately fooled by the Godzilla King of Monsters trailer. And got excited for it. So anytime you're going to bring up some creative, colossal being that gets your imagination going, I'm in. And then the brother and sister rivalry is a tale as old as time. And yet we haven't seen it really, really delved into by Pixar. So, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> right, because Onward's not really a rivalry. Exactly. No, it's kind of like understanding, coming to terms with stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to work together on a goal. Like the, yeah. the entire plot of this movie, ideally they're – working completely independently of each other for most of it. So your your idea is a little more fully formed than Jake. No offense, this is not a knock on Jake. This is more. Oh, much more. <laughs> no, yeah. it, it, but like, do you have a working title? Because I have a working title for mine, and I'm oh, going to no. take it a step further. Yeah, you can go the step further. <laughs> I was going to say, I have voices and everything for mine. This is an idea that I've actually like written down before as something to write 15, 20 years down the road when I'm bored, possibly. So for me... The most impactful Pixar movies are ones that deal with the essence of the self. So that has to do with Inside Out and that has to do with Soul, uh, which we'll get into a lot more later. But Inside Out is all about how emotions shape us. But 
something that they really haven't touched on, and it's been something that's kind of been in the past taboo to kind of go into, is societal identity, specifically when it has to do with, like, roles of an alpha male or cutting around the crap, talking about, like, LGBTQ sexuality and identity and the way that people carry themselves in society. Uh, my movie's not specifically about LGBTQ characters, but it is an allegory for society accepting your true nature despite what expectations that you're supposed to be filled in. It takes place in a savanna in Africa. It's called Hunted. Uh, it stars Terry the Tiger, voiced by Terry Crews. Um, <laughs> it's got a lot of elements of uh, how do you train your dragon in it. It's got some elements of the... You know, unlikely friendship. It's got elements of Zootopia with the caste system of the Savannah. Basically, Terry, he is like the heir to the throne for the Tigers or whatever. His stern dad, Kelsey Grammer, wants him to be a big alpha tiger and, you know, go out and hunt and eat antelope. But he befriends and spares an antelope, Arthur, voiced by Dan Levy of Schitt's Creek fame. And basically, the antelope lifestyle appeals way more to him. And the whole movie is about him accepting that this is his actual true self. And finding a way to tell his parents and get his parents to accept it. And obviously it's a big allegory for coming out and accepting yourself. Because uh, I think Pixar is building its way up to, you know, they had the lesbian couple in Finding Dory. But besides that, there hasn't been a lot to do with the 21st century and where we are now in terms of how people act and how people express themselves. And they don't feel the need to hide their identity anymore. And I think this would teach kids at a very base level a very valuable lesson about accepting who you are so that when they deal with a situation like this down the road, they can kind of draw parallels. Mm -hmm. Oh, and the entire thing would be narrated by Jean-Claude Van Damme. It would be in the style of a nature documentary a little bit. <laughs> so kind of a parody of <laughs> that Talk about well. burying the lead there, Drew. <laughs> no, that sounds You're going to get that nut to sign on? <laughs> yeah. So does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, I like that a lot. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great. I'm glad you guys really took my idea and surpassed me. <laughs> I had this one on the burner. Um, and obviously the picking of Terry Crews is very, you pick the most alpha voice possible and then kind of contrast it against what the character's feeling. Mm -hmm. And I love Terry Crews, so that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like it. Good choice, Jake. I think this is a good topic. Thanks. See, wholesome, Nate. Wholesome. There it is. <laughs> yeah, he'll pick at me later for something, I'm sure. Yeah, just agree with things I say. It'll be fine. Uh -huh. uh, that'll do it for Lobby Talk, and let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a news break special report. This is news. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So in news, we have this, like, basically recurring segment now. Jake, can you make, like, a dun-dun like a noise or something? Dun, dun, dun. I like that. That's our continuing coverage noise now. Uh, and we are continuing our coverage of how the pandemic is affecting business. So last time we talked about uh, the Cruise Bot 3000 rumors and changes to different sets and uh, the money that people were being paid to do movies. And now we're talking about the actual movies themselves and stories that have come out about streaming services trying to basically circle like the, uh, what's the name of the shark in Jaws? Oh, yeah, Jaws. Yeah, duh. Uh, Circling like Jaws <laughs> around these different high-profile blockbuster movies and trying to swoop them up and take them off the hands of companies that might be scared to put them in theaters. So the big one that came out a couple of weeks ago is that both Netflix and Apple TV Plus reached out to see if Paramount would be willing to sell them Top Gun Maverick. Now, 
Top Gun Maverick could make a lot of money at the box office, obviously with Tom Cruise in a highly anticipated sequel. So Paramount not only said no because of that, but also because if they wanted to put it on streaming, they have their own streaming service launching next month. But this is far from the only movie that has had people inquiring about its status. Like No Time to Die, which has been delayed three million times, so the obvious joke, there's been plenty of time to die, yada, yada, yada. Uh, (laughs) The makers of that one reportedly passed on a deal with Apple months ago uh, when Apple tried to take it off their hands. And we're talking big deals here, like hundreds of millions of dollars paid for these movies to get them onto streaming. So I guess the best way to start, uh, let's start with you, Nate. Do you think companies should be considering this? And do you think there is an expiration date if this pandemic is still really severe, say in like July? Will we see some of these major movies start to yield a little bit and be sold to these different um, streaming services? Uh, Yeah, it's a it's a tough call to make, obviously. And that's why all these all these streaming companies are circling like vultures just trying to trying to get the scraps of original content uh, especially big original content like your no time to die and other other major blockbusters so if i was in let's just say paramount shoes absolutely not i have my own streaming service why would i ever sell to somebody else um, when i can try to make it all under my own umbrella and my own money, especially for your big blockbusters. I don't think anybody would be going after all the Warner Brothers movies that are showing up on HBO Max, even though they're only staying on that platform for like a month at a time, right? With each release, you're going to hold on to your own properties. It gets a little bit more interesting for the companies that don't have a dedicated streaming platform attached to them. Even then, I still think your big blockbusters, you're going to stick with. And the question is more about your indie films and your like your A24 releases. Those kinds of things are definitely more likely to be thrown to streaming if you can make the quick buck on it. Because they usually didn't make their money back anyway, unless they really blew up in theaters. Yeah. But there is also the question of, and Jake, we'll, we'll toss it to you here, the issue of is there going to be a backlog of stuff kind of cannibalizing each other? Uh, all these different movies uh, coming out at different times. Are they just going to keep shifting things back? Do you think there will be a period where they do cave? Or do you think that going forward, we are still going to be having the insistence that these movies are coming to theaters? I was actually kind of wondering that back in April when, you know, basically everything was just getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. I was like, you know, is, is 2021 and 2022 just going to be completely jam-packed with movies are we just gonna have like two and a half years of movies crammed into one and a half years like i don't know um i think it's a lot of it's gonna kind of be a case-by-case basis like some movies like if you know maybe the studio sees a rough cut and is like you know what i don't think this is gonna do that well this would probably be a january movie anyway sure maybe we'll make more money by selling it you know i think that's possible and i think if they're gonna have movies competing with each other in theaters or on streaming services then yeah, maybe they'll sell it and try to make more money where they think, you know, whichever one they think would make less, maybe they'll sell that one. But it's really tough to say because, you know, things are still getting pushed back. Like we said, No Time to Die uh, got pushed back again. Black Widow got pushed back again. If it's potentially a bomb or potentially a misfire, you know, like if Doolittle didn't come out yet, I could see somebody selling that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think there's a Doolittle's lot of a good pick, different, yeah. lot of different cases. I think it really depends on the movie. Nate is right where it's going to be more 
the mid-budget ones that are gets getting sold like this, basically. A good example was a movie that was supposed to come out last summer, The Woman in the Window. I don't know if you guys vaguely remember trailers for that. It was yeah, an Amy Adams thriller. And that's now going to Netflix uh, in this new world. Now, yeah. I kind of have an answer for my own point, which was the whole idea of the cannibalizing of the schedule uh, in 2021 and 2022. And that's the point is, I think of it that way, where all these movies are going to be on top of each other. But in a way, a lot of these 2022 movies are being jeopardized in terms of their production because there's been such a backlog of things that haven't been able to get started because of this. So really, if you just think about it, it's kind of like, Nate, when you are on Adobe Premiere and you take the whole clip and you try to slide it, what's it called? Like a ripple edit? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yep. You just take <laughs> the whole thing and it slides over. That's what we're going to do with the uh, release schedule. Mm -hmm. don't, don't you love all the shop talk? You're doing <laughs> like, a great job, uh, Drew. <laughs> I think I followed what you were saying. There's certain movies are just, you know, they're going to just keep getting slots pushed back a little bit. But what do you think happens if like, you know, like a lot of movies get released the week of Christmas every year? What if there's literally like 25 movies that want to get released around Christmas? Certain things will have to budge. Like there will only be mm -hmm. room for the biggest. In a way that could be good because it spreads out the quality material throughout the year more. Maybe we won't have the traditional January always sucks kind of thing. And this gets back to our major argument, where it's just kind of talking about the whole idea that these big-budget movies are going to dominate and the mid-budget movies slash lower-tier blockbusters are going to suffer. So it all comes back to that. Every conversation we're going to have about this pandemic comes back to that. It's going to get repetitive. Let's talk about actual movies that are coming out and get back into my comfort zone and a happy time-ish. <laughs> Wholesome, Drew. Wholesome. See? That's going to be like the... Uh, the subtitle. The He's episode. trying his damn best. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to last very long. Hey, you know what? We'll see. We're going to go to Disney next, so that'll help. Um, we have two big trailers to talk about tonight. The first is for the 59th animated film from Walt Disney Animation, Raya and the Last Dragon. Let's catch you up. My name is Raya. My daughter. I believe our people can come together again, but someone has to take the first step. We must find the last dragon. I wish to join this fellowship of butt kickery. We really need your help. Ah, I'm gonna be real with you. I'm not like the best dragon. Uh, we're doomed. You and the dragon are coming with me. Hmm. My sword here says we're not. The world's broken. Maybe it's broken because you don't trust anyone. Ryan, The Last Dragon is directed by Don Hall, who did the last Winnie the Pooh movie. Uh, he's been involved in plenty of projects. I believe he also was a director or at least a co-director on Big Hero 6. Uh, it's also co-directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, who is making his animated debut. He directed Blind Spotting, uh, which was a really underrated 2018 movie, for $30 on Disney Plus for premiere access or in theaters on March 5th. Uh, let's go a little bit into the synopsis. Long ago in the world of Kumandra, humans and dragons live together in harmony. But when sinister monsters known as the Druin threaten the land, dragons sacrifice themselves, yada, yada, yada. 500 years later, Raya, her pet pill bug companion, Tuk Tuk, trying to track down the last dragon in order to stop these monsters for good. Kelly Marie Tran, uh, aka Rose from Star Wars, is the voice of Raya. Aquafina is the voice of the last dragon. There's also a lot of high-profile Asian actors in this. Gemma Chan, Daniel Day Kim, Sandra Oh, and Benedict Wong, who just seems to be all over the place 
terms of Disney properties these days. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, it's getting that bag. <laughs> Ryan the Last Dragon. Um, it's the first original Disney movie, I think, since Moana. That might be correct. I'm trying to remember. Obviously, Frozen 2. Not counting Frozen 2. Yeah, yeah and then oh, Wreck-It yeah. Ralph 2 before that. I think it's Moana. I know we have some thoughts on this trailer. Obviously, there's a lot of influences from like something like Avatar The Last Airbender, Asian cultural influences here. Jake, what did you think of the trailer? I think it looks really cool. I think it's uh, it looks really well animated, which at this point we can just expect that. I think it's 2021, you know, if movies are like don't look good visually, we know they have the money and we know they have the technology. So like that is something we can expect now. But generally, I thought it looked really, really good visually. Just even Nate was saying earlier, things like landscapes look great. Certain colors pop like I just I love that kind of stuff. So I think Ryan, the last dragon looks really good like that. So Disney always has this, but like her animal sidekick is like the roly-poly thing named Tuk Tuk. Um, they seem like they have a cute little rapport. It re- kind of reminds me of Moana, just a completely different story. And that's okay. I love Moana. So I'm pretty much on board after the first, you know, after watching the first two trailers already. I think it looks really, really fun. Disney rarely misfires. So, you know. Yeah. It's certainly taking the template of what they've been doing for the last decade or so, where they're doing these kind of pseudo quote unquote princess films but in a way just kind of warping what it means to be a quote-unquote princess slash strong female lead in the Right, they, Moana, like they might course. be a princess or mm-hmm. some royalty, but they're certainly not a damsel in distress. Like they've parted those two completely now. Right, so <laughs> yeah, there are two discussions to be had here, Nate, and I think you're going to have uh, a voice on both of them, where it is visually, like Jake was talking about, the landscapes and the beautiful design of the action and stuff like that and the colors, but also you've got your traditional... Disney angles with the baby and the the actual dragon voiced by Aquafina and the comedy side relief characters. Is there anything that's raising red flags for you or are you all 100% positive here? Yeah. Um, so we, we've gotten the teaser trailer and this is the first official trailer for Raya and the Last Dragon. I think I like Raya a lot more from this trailer because we actually get some emotion from her. Um, a little bit more of what her what her goal is here. Um, so I'm I'm very optimistic that they'll they'll do something fun with her, but I don't want another cookie cutter action heroine like we saw in Ray, like we saw in Moana, like we saw in Mulan, the live action one. I'm hoping that they have a more complex character that needs to overcome some challenges of her own. Um, so that looks good to me. The baby looks almost exactly like. Uh, a DreamWorks boss baby, like complete with the eyebrow raise and all that stuff. <laughs> I'll, I'll give that one a chance, but that one definitely seems very Disney for me. The only one that I'm not sold on right now is so far the dragon. Uh, she reminds me a lot of the evil queen from the Lego movie too, um, especially with the really meta joke about like, I'm the person who fails group projects yeah, that, was that still gets the passing grade. Agreed. Like, that felt a little unoriginal. That feels really really out of place especially with this cool world that they seem to be setting right. up like well not to go back to moana but it, you remember that joke that maui makes where he's like oh this is a bird it's called tweeting and it's like oh come on man <laughs> yeah it, it's like that like we don't need emoji movie level meta humor in this movie like make jokes about your characters and your world that you're setting up right um and that makes me a little nervous that this is your trailer where you're introducing the character right so they're trying to get the best material they have that obviously isn't spoiling anything. And that's the joke they pick. That makes me a little nervous. 
But like Jake said earlier, Disney is stupidly consistent, sometimes frustratingly so. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not too worried about this movie from a trailer. Um, I'm just pointing out the dots. When Moana first came out, they didn't market it as a musical. They marketed just kind of as a straightforward Disney adventure. And my point is, what's one of the best parts about Moana? The music. So I think in this case, we haven't seen the, and I'm going to be hopeful here. This is me being hopeful. We haven't seen the best that this movie has to offer. This is just a general trailer to get kids excited. But I think I can see inklings of some really interesting, like complex, warring factions, mysticism stuff that I hope dominates the Mm -hmm. film and that these little Aquafina jokes, which it can be cute sparingly, but I just hope it's not like overwhelmingly this kind of humor. I think it looks really cool. Uh, I think the animation looks stunning. I think the action in general looks really strong. I just like every time we see her working with the sword and maneuvering with the sword and fighting whoever this mysterious antagonist she's facing yeah yeah that other female character looks like a really cool rivalry i'm i'm excited they do something like avatar the last airbender does where two different factions fighting it out but both of them think that they're in the right because that's what war is right you don't think you're the baddies until (laughs) until you see the other perspective um i think that could be really really cool and i really hope they dive into that because that looks compelling like that shot of them in the temple or whatever, like the yeah, where she's walking the king's the, hall. Yeah, antagonist is walking down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. I love. Oh that my shot god! Already. Yeah, that looks badass. <laughs> what I was trying to make with the trailer point is that I think that is probably the main crux of the movie. If I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt to say that they are going to continue to work towards the complexities and the maturity that they showed with their previous few movies as a company, so I think as far as a just selling what this movie is all the different angles of what it is. I think this does a really nice job. I understand the worries, and I think that they are genuine worries because it's like, okay, okay, she's joking about group projects. She wouldn't know what a group project is. She's joking yeah. about, like, digestion. Okay, that's that's a poop joke. Like, okay, those are funny sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I'm fine with those in spurts as long as it doesn't dominate from something more dramatically potent. I, I will give them a bed for the doubt, and we'll find out in a few weeks. That we will. Speaking of nuance and dramatic heft, <laughs> let's talk about Godzilla versus Kong. We need Kong. The world needs him. To stop what's coming. It's Godzilla. Yeah. Godzilla's out there and he's hurting people and we don't know why. Yeah. The myths are real. Yeah. And they're the last ones standing. Who bows to who? Nobody go stop the me. Kong bows to no one. That was the trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong, complete with some great hip-hop yo. Godzilla vs. Kong, directed by Adam Wingard, who is best known for horror. He did your next... Uh, which is a very underrated indie horror movie. He did the reboot of Blair Witch, which uh, there are warring opinions about. Uh, He did The Guest. So he's known for mostly horror, and he's taking on this massive, big-budget ordeal. It's the fourth movie in the uh, Warner Brothers MonsterVerse uh, after Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, and Godzilla King of the Monsters. It stars Alexander Skarsgård, Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, Isaac Gonzalez, Julian Dennison, 
Uh, and then the leftover cast from Godzilla, King of the Monsters, a.k.a. Kyle Chandler and Millie Bobby Brown, they return. And it's pretty it's pretty simple. Godzilla is being a dick, and Kong wants to kick the shit out of him. And I, I think that's the extent of it. <laughs> we can only hope, true. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, we want that. Like, uh, I yes. just want a lot of shit kicking. I don't want anything else. But uh, it seems like there's a lot of characters in this. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which we reviewed, and we never got it out to the public, but it was a... It was an experience because we all did not like that movie very much. It was a very bad movie. We beat up on that movie more than Godzilla beat up on any monster in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Godzilla, Mm -hmm. King of the Monsters sucked. And hopefully Godzilla vs. Kong does not suck. Oh, it's coming out on March 31st, HBO Max, and in theaters. Uh, So Jake, just baseline, first gut reaction. What do you think? Uh, I'm really, really... Trying not to do the whole, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But, like, it's a damn cool trailer. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Um, I'm now more fully aware that it could go horribly wrong. I have learned from my past hype mistakes. Real crash course. I think Godzilla 2014 was good, not great. I think Kong Skull Island is fun, definitely not great. King of Monsters was far from great. And I'm hoping... You know, Godzilla versus Kong can bounce back and at least be as good as the other two that I mentioned. But yeah, I think it looks fun. And honestly, if you just, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. Don't overpack the story with characters. Don't overpack it with plot, really. Show us, actually let us see the monster fights and we'll kind of be good. Like we're, we're not really asking for a whole lot here. It shouldn't be that hard to mess this up, but it's proven that it can and... You know, I'm I'm still hopeful. That's what it is. I'm not overly excited, but I'm hopeful. I like the trailer because the trailer looks fun. It's well edited. And I'm just hoping it's good. I would love to see an awesome current modern day live action Kong versus Godzilla. Like just, it would just be awesome to see a good one. So I'm hoping for it, but we'll see. Nate, which of the 22 human characters you think is going to be your favorite? <laughs> Frick out of here. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're trying to get me heated. <laughs> yeah. Wholesome. Wholesome. Breathe in. Out. This trailer looks fun. Like, <laughs> I've seen a lot of cynicism over the, the rap music and um, a lot of justifiable cynicism about adding another young character who can connect with Kong. And, like, we're going to have uh, this character and Eleven from Stranger Things duke it out on the ground while... Their respective monsters are duking it out <laughs> above them. Who the frick knows? They have like a dodgeball um, tournament behind lines. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I really hope this movie is fun. And I really hope the verses in the title last more than just one fight. Like, I do not want a Batman versus Superman situation where we have 10 minutes of them smacking heads. And then, oh, wait, no, the real bad guy's right over here. We'll go fight him now. And that's the last 20 minutes of the movie. Like, I know that's probably going to happen with Godzilla versus Kong. Like, maybe it's Mega Godzilla. Maybe it's King Ghidorah back from the dead. Who the heck knows? They'll probably team up toward the end. But I want, like, five good clashes. Yeah. For the love of God, just let them fight. <laughs> it, it Listen looks to like Ken Watanabe. Let them fight. <laughs> it looks like we get at least two fights. Okay, so that's something. Yeah, we got the city and we got the the sea fight. And Godzilla's totally going to own Kong in the ocean. And then it looks like they're trying to paint Kong as, like, the total city brawler champion yeah, over they, here. They give him a weapon, which I think is pretty cool. 
Yeah. You know what's a good sign, though, for me, uh, as probably the biggest hater of Godzilla King of the Monsters? We can kind of get a sense of what the battles are going to look like just from the trailer. And visual clarity is literally the only thing this movie has to do to, like, at least minimum get a damp lawn chair. <laughs> <laughs> minimum. I just need to be able to see what's happening in these awesome fights. Right. And it looks like, to me, it's going to deliver on that bar, at least. Now, Nate, I think you're absolutely right. I was going to ask for predictions, uh, but I, I do think there's going to be a team-up or something. There always is. Almost every movie with yeah. verses yeah. in the title ends up with something like that. <laughs> I don't see one of them, either one of them, like, definitively, like, losing and or dying. I just, I don't see that happening. Uh, Adam Wingard said in an interview that there is a definitive winner, but I don't know exactly what that means. <laughs> So, Team Godzilla Kong beats Ghidorah, and that's the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the winner. Kong is on yeah. Godzilla's back, and like they win. Like, <laughs> like freak <I> said, the <laughs> mighty. <laughs> uh, for me, I just need the action to look good, and I look. The effects mm -hmm. look awesome. They've had, yeah. they've had so much time to finish this movie because it's been delayed forever. Yeah, and to be fair, as much as Godzilla King of the Monsters deserves a lot of hate, when you get to see the monsters, they look freaking awesome. For sure. Yeah. One of my biggest gripes with King of the Monsters is that in the trailer for that movie, the one that got me and Jake so hyped way back when, was that you had these awesome widescreen full body shots of these monsters clashing. And we're like, yes, give me that. Inject it into my veins. And then we got to the movie. That shot from the trailer was the entire scene for the fight. And then everything else was blurred out or zoomed in yeah don't, don't make yeah. the fight during a blizzard nobody asked for yeah, that or, <laughs> i don't want to see it from the cranky old building i want to see the big landscape shot you know <laughs> um so if this movie can just have a single camera follow of motion <laughs> for multiple shots and then like john wick but for monsters i will be so happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah whatever mm -hmm. i i don't have a lot of expectations but in a way that's good i think yeah. Yeah. I just don't want this to be a Michael Bay Transformers where all we're focusing on is the human characters. That's a mistake. We all know it's a mistake. Stop trying to make it happen. <laughs> uh, anything else on Godzilla vs. Kong? Uh, I'll just throw it out there really quick that if this was a for realsies fight, Kong has no freaking chance. No, no Godzilla shot. breathes f nuclear yeah. waste you're yeah, good <laughs> apparently he has no aim when it comes to this current situation because i we mean we saw him go supernova in the last movie right cog has no chance if this was for real but this is hollywood that's what i'm saying <laughs> like his stream is so centralized now just let it go man whatever <laughs> all right that's godzilla versus kong and then ryan the last dragon they're both coming out in march let's talk about something you can watch right now but it'll do it for news let's move into our feature review of soul Music is all I think about. It's my reason for living. There's a soul missing. Is this heaven? No. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interests before they go to Earth. <gasps> Don't worry. You can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. It's my life. Can you help me get back? Get ready. Your life is about to start. Soul is the 23rd movie from Pixar Animation Studios. It was originally set to be released in June of 2020. It instead came out over Disney Plus, exclusively on Disney Plus, 
on Christmas Day. It's been watched by a lot of people. Disney Plus says it's the equivalent of like $145 million opening weekend or something like that, which actually, for the first time, sounds like a metric I could buy. Like, I could see Soul having made $145 million in theaters. Yeah, Netflix is like, oh yeah, you know, our, our newest film would have made $350 million in its first opening weekend. Like, no, it wouldn't have. Yeah, it, no, I don't. It, it was a teen rom-com. No, it wouldn't have. I was going to say, I don't think Murder Mystery with Adam Sandler was going to make that much, but thanks for... Thanks for the blatant lie to the consumer. Anyway, Soul has been watched by a lot of people. It is directed by Pete Docter, who is now the head of Pixar. Uh, He has made, in my opinion, some of their best movies. Uh, Up and Inside Out are the two big ones. A lot of people love Monsters, Inc. as well. Uh, It's co-directed by Kemp Powers, who wrote One Night in Miami, another Oscar contender uh, that is doing well. Uh, And he is a big voice in the African-American community. This movie is significant because it stars Pixar's first African-American lead character, Joe Gardner, voiced by Jamie Foxx. He's a middle school band teacher in New York City. Life hasn't gone quite the way he's expected. He really wants to play piano for a jazz band that travels around the world. And on the afternoon of when his big break is about to happen, he falls into a manhole and he dies. (gasps) What? I gasped. That's surprising. Oh, I thought you were saying like, (laughs) oh, spoilers. I was like, it's the whole premise, man. (laughs) Uh So Joe dies. He travels to another realm between heaven and reality, paired up with 22, who is one of those souls who has been there for a long time and just has no interest in going on Earth. So we've got this mismatched duo as Joe tries to get back to his body. Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Graham Norton, Alice Braga, Rich Iode, Felicia Rasad, really big cast, tugging at the heartstrings and a lot of intellectual concepts. I think it's not too far off to say this is the most adult movie they've ever made. Like, probably the least accessible for, like, a small child. But in a way, that catapults it into a brand new era here. So, let's start with you, Nate. I know you have a very nice connection to Inside Out, uh, like I do. What did you think of Soul? Mm, Yeah, Inside Out was definitely one of my favorites. Um, This movie, obviously, is in a similar vein. It's a a little meta, if you will. It's all about the inner workings of your, your... being and your character that's different than say toy story or bugs life where it's just like what if bugs or toys had feelings you know so this is a continuing pace for pixar and for the most part i think it sticks to landing pretty darn good i'm sure this is a common critique of the movie where and you're totally right true this is an adult movie made for kids <laughs> it features a adult character with real middle-aged man problems and a family dynamic to match. Uh, That might not be as fun or interesting for kids to grasp. That doesn't mean that it's not a bad movie. It is still a good quality movie. And I think it is matching kind of audience expectations for Pixar. And that's a little bit of nostalgia and a little bit of childlike wonder about an animated movie again. And it's, it's cool to see. And it's, great to see that pixar was able to pull this off uh so jake you watched this in the best of circumstances if i remember correctly what you told me um Um, what did you think of soul (laughs) well i i did watch it a second time since then my first time um long story short i watched it in in the living room of my house and i got interrupted like four different times you know maybe it was letting the dog out or you know helping with dishes or having to pause it to answer a question like it was just there's always something (laughs) <laughs> so I watched it again last week. It obviously flowed nicer the second time. Um, I'm probably on your guys' uh, base here. It's a 
little bit under Inside Out, but it's still it's still so good. Again, it's wildly creative. The animation in Soul is just gorgeous. And I'm not just talking about like simply how it looks. They're starting to really nail feels and tones of things. And it's just, it's really amazing. Like a common one is the hustle and bustle of New York City that a lot of people are talking about. And I love that. But two specific scenes that stood out to me were the the glimmer of like a light or reflection off of Dorothea Williams' saxophone just looks perfect. In the, the dimly lit room, the way the light shines off her saxophone and just a hint of like dark rainbow-ish, like a bluish, like how something would reflect off of. It just absolutely nailed it. Like they eventually walk into Joe's apartment at some point. The light that comes through the window, I'm just like, that looks unbelievable. They are nailing absolutely incredible detail. So I love glad you mentioned the lighting. all of that. Yeah. yeah. The whole movie looks stunning for sure. It really is unbelievable how how goddamn good this movie looks. <laughs> um but overall I think it's it's really really good top to bottom. I think it's a really important movie and I think it's one that not everybody's I don't even think some adults are going to quite tackle the message and the overarching theme that they're that they're getting at. It's a it's honestly a pretty complicated one that Really, kind of does make you think if you if you sit with it long enough. But I have plenty more to say. I don't want to take up the whole thing before we get into spoilers. But it's it's really really good. And I don't know, Andrew could tell me better. But like, how often does Pixar like miss like really miss? Yeah, I mean they they don't really. I mean, <laughs> Cars too. Depending on what you think about the Good Dinosaur, it's just a remarkable strain of consistency. And I'm glad that they are kind of getting back towards because they had an era for a couple years here where they were very sequel-heavy, uh, and that's not a bad thing. Like, you get movies like Toy Story 4 out of it, and I thought Incredibles 2 was great, but I'm glad we're back on the original storytelling. Uh, Jake, yeah, I'm very too. interested to see how you synthesize and talk about the themes of this movie. I'm not going to be suspenseful or dramatic and withhold. Soul is my favorite movie of 2020. Um, oh, wow. I had a chance to talk about it on our last podcast when we talked about best things we saw, and I withheld for this exact reason. If you know me, this isn't a surprise. I'm a big Pixar fanboy. I always will give a leg up to animation if they are able to accomplish what live-action dramatic filmmaking also is able to accomplish. I think Pete Docter is not just one of the best animated filmmakers out there. He is one of the best filmmakers working, period. This movie is so incredibly well-written. It is an evolution of what he did with Up and Inside Out in terms of specifically... Up and Inside Out's themes. Inside Out is the obvious one because it's all about emotions and our inner self and what makes us a human being. Soul gets into that much more in detail than Inside Out is because Inside Out boils everything down to specifically understood emotions like anger and sadness and stuff like that. There is much more, not muddying I should say, but more blending of what makes a person a person. It's so mature and so well detailed. And then Up, Up is about how the journey is just as important as the destination. Soul takes that idea and takes it into this kind of metaphysical reflexive zone. It's not this big grand adventure like Up is, but it has such unbelievably beautiful ideas and concepts that are visualized and made into music in a way that is so compelling. This is one of the best scores I've heard ever. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who have been best known for their work with David Fincher, uh, and of course on the Watchmen TV show, 
they have two different modes in this. They use a great mix of jazz, uh, helped by John Baptiste, who does a lot of work with Stephen Colbert. Uh, and then they have this techno sound that kind of helps split up the reality on Earth and the reality in this different area. The voice work is excellent. Man, the design, just small things like Jake was talking about lighting, but the shadows of this movie, the fabric on the shirts. Oh, yeah, you take the the faces off the characters and everything looks basically photoreal. Yeah. It's honestly crazy how they capture New York City, having lived in it now, too. It's like <laughs> even the the little things about just like where the grime is in the subway system um, and uh, the way people walk and stand around storefronts like it's really really cool to say and <laughs> the animation here is top tier i can't think of anything that comes even close to it honestly in terms of world building off of a real place before like there there are moments where like if you put it next to a still photo it wouldn't it would still be clear it's animation but it would be close mm. up and down this movie every element of storytelling and Filmmaking is extraordinary. The editing is great. It's a really funny movie. The flow of the story is perfect. The pacing is excellent. Like we said, it's really deep. And then it all builds to, like every Pixar movie does, the final 30 minutes, which is the most emotionally... It's like you're walking down the street. Let's just say your name's Rick Moranis, and somebody comes up behind you and hits you in the back. You know? No? Didn't you have to go to the hospital for that? Eh, he's fine. He's Rick Moranis. <laughs> He's okay. Uh, Too soon. <laughs> but that's the big the big slap of emotion in those final 30 minutes, and I was a puddle, uh, predictably. Very yeah, interesting. I mean, this movie just delivers. All right, so not to be the voice of dissent here, um, but I didn't have the same emotional reaction that I usually do with a Pixar movie. Like, I don't know if it's just, like, the state of the character um, like maybe I just related a lot more to Riley than I did Joe Gardner's character. I'm not exactly sure. Like, I don't get me wrong. I, st I still felt things. Um, <laughs> it's not like I didn't cry during old yeller kind of thing. I still felt things, but this one didn't resonate me as much as inside out did. And I wonder if that's because it would, the movie gets so meta, if you will, it talks about soul in such broad strokes to relate to everybody that there's less specific details for you as a viewer to latch on to. Oh, that's an I don't know point. if that was just my own interpretation of it. And somebody might say like, holy crap, I'm having the same midlife crisis thing that this character is going through. And that's me to a T. But for me personally, that wasn't quite it. Same thing. I felt things and I was stunned by things. And I think it has outstanding things to say. But I didn't. I didn't become any sort of a, a puddle or or a, a drip, even really, like Andrew was saying. <laughs> Toy Story three and Toy Story four. Honestly, like you know, all of a sudden somebody takes a hammer to my gut, and I'm like, Jesus Christ! I didn't quite get that from Soul, actually. Yeah, obviously I did, and I want to start there in spoilers uh, because I have a very specific phrase I just wrote down in my notes that I want to kind of illustrate because I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, Nate. There's a lot of abstractness in the ideas, and it's it can feel sometimes like a creative thesis at points. But there's this very specific mm. point to Doctor's execution, and it's a it's a specific tool that he has used before 
uh, that really, really made it hit for me. So let's get into our ratings. If you're just joining us for the first time, we rate movies on the seat scale. If we think a movie has virtually no flaws or is just essentially perfect, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is great, we give it a plus recliner. If we think a movie is solid but has some glaring flaws, we give it a wooden seat. The inverse of that, if we think a movie is not great but has some decent things about it, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if we think a movie sucks, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And then we give it a bag of popcorn moniker in a theoretical world where movie theaters were still a thing. So, guys... Uh, Jake, why don't you start with your rating this time? I, I wanted to do it, and it just – I can't quite get there. It's its like probably as high as a plush recliner is going to get. I can't quite venture into the, the royal throne for me. It just – if it had that gut punch that Nate and I were talking about, how it didn't, it probably would have ventured in there. Because like there's not a whole lot wrong with this movie, if anything. <laughs> but it just – it didn't quite – reach that level you know like there are certain Pixar movies that are Royal Thrones for me and this one is again a a great movie I think everybody and literally everybody should watch it but I don't quite personally venture into the Royal Throne territory Um, and I would also say Bag of Popcorn moniker if that's a possibility uh, I would say yes because it's just visually unbelievable and like Andrew said also score wise the sound uh, and the music just great so watch this in the best, if not in a movie theater, in the best conditions on a really good screen. You know, it's it's worthy of more than your iPhone and Disney Plus app. You should watch it in really good conditions. And without your family walking in front of the TV. Hey, right. right, yeah, without the vacuum yeah. on or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man, this would have been great with a crowd, this one, for yeah. a lot of reasons. But Yeah, I would have loved to see this in theaters. Seeing Inside Out with a crowd was fantastic. Just like mm-hmm. uproarious mm-hmm. laughter at the right moments. You could hear the sniffles all over. Nate, yep. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'll start there. I, I wish I could have seen this in a theater, too. I think the jokes would have landed a lot harder for me. Not that it wasn't funny. Um, the movie obviously is funny, but this movie does a lot of unexpected cameos is the best way I could put it without spoilers. And those moments were great, but it would have been greater with more people watching. So, yeah, I, I'll second that. This is definitely a bag of popcorn for me. In terms of rating... I'm going to stick with Jake here, too, and I'll do a plush recliner as well. This movie is great, and I think it does set out exactly what it wants to do, and it pulls it off pretty flawlessly. What's missing for me is the emotional connection. I think this movie, it's so abstract in a way that that feels more like how Jake and I were pitching our Pixar concepts at the beginning of this episode. It's not that it's fully fleshed out because that's not the point of the movie, but the fact that it isn't makes me want just a little bit more to relate to. And that's a that's a lot of bubbly language for basically me saying I, I wanted to connect to the characters a little bit more. And I think that just comes down to personal preference. Uh, this movie does great things. I'm glad that it ventured into new territory, but I almost feel like it wasn't as creative as some other Pixar concepts because it's almost easy to talk about things in abstract ways. It's a lot harder to come up with something like Inside Out did with all the machines that made a brain work or the society that constructs The Incredibles or Monsters, Inc. And this one feels a lot more floaty to me and less concrete. And I think that's as closest to I can say forming this into a coherent idea so i'll leave it there plus recliner heartily recommended 
but really, really like the movie all the same. Those are interesting points, Nate. Uh, okay. So if it's going to be my favorite movie of the year, it's got to be a Royal Throne. That's pretty obvious, I think. Uh, absolutely bag of popcorn moniker. Nate, I hear what you're saying in terms of the complexity of the design of the world. It's hard for me to verbalize why I disagree with that, because in a way I do agree with you in terms of like, when you stack this up to just the different places and realms that they go to in something like Inside Out, there's not as much journeying in Soul. Mm -hmm. But in a way, it's still hitting every single note that it's trying to hit. So it didn't really matter for me, because for, for me, I was still getting the same effect, even if it was just kind of like, it was lacking in certain areas of design. Sure. Oh, one thing we didn't touch on that I do want to touch on. This movie is so universally interesting and fits all kinds of walks of life and fits everybody in terms of its emotional catharsis. But I really appreciated the African-American centric culture that is the backdrop for everything, like the barber shop that he goes to yeah. and just the use of jazz and stuff like that. Like Pixar has been criticized a lot for their lack of diversity uh, and there are elements that they're still going to be criticized for going forward, but I think this is a really good start. Uh, so that's a, a point that we hadn't touched on that I can touch on here, and I wanted to give them thumbs up for that. But everything else we need to talk about in spoilers. If you have not seen Soul, please go and see it. It is a hearty thumbs up for all of us, even if we're on different levels of the thumbs up, like if mine's higher. Mine's a little bit higher. But if you have seen it, jump into spoilers. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. So I want to start at the end uh, because we're talking about why it hit for me and why it didn't hit as hard for you guys. Clearly still were affected by Joe's decision to try and rescue 22. But I think for me, the specific technique that made it hit so well, and it's something Pete Doctor is so good at, is the montage. Mm -hmm. Now we talk about montages in kind of a satirical form when we talk about movies like obviously Team America World Police make fun of them, but they're effective when they're done well. You can't say they're not. Like the beginning of Up obviously is probably the yeah. most famous of Pixar's montages. And then at the end of Inside Out, uh, kind of when they're going through the complexities of different memories that happened to Riley and Joy is finally realizing that there's no such thing as just happy all the time. And that montage where he's sitting in front of the piano and just reflecting on his life, even if they're not specific things that have happened to me, they are concepts that just hit me so hard because we just spend so much time like going through life and we don't have time to slow down and just think about the really great things that we have most likely experienced. We're so worried about the next thing that we don't take time to look at the thing that's right in front of us. And I think that's such an important thing to say. And that's something that everybody can relate to. Because Joe, I kind of like the complexity of his character in that he's pretty selfish for most of the movie. And this is a moment totally. where he realizes how selfish he's been and how good he really does have it. He has things that give him joy. It's just not what he thinks was giving him joy. And I thought with the, the music and the visualization of everything that has happened up to this point, I, it just was, it was the peak of movie magic for me. It just hit so hard right there. I actually, I, 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 
<laughs> I actually <laughs> my big cohesive thesis essay, and then you go. <laughs> I, 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 sound, <laughs> I just sounded like Foghorn Leghorn. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say. But I was gonna say is I actually I really do love points like that. And for those keeping a, a bingo scorecard at home, here comes BoJack Horseman because. <laughs> there is an there's an episode of uh, of Bojack where he you know he falsely is nominated for an Oscar that he really thinks he is and he's like that doesn't make me any happier and I'm and same with Joe Joe lands this gig and he's like finally my dream this is what I've been waiting for mm-hmm. and then it ends and he kind of goes so what now and she's like we do it again tomorrow and he's like that's it like I thought I don't know I just I guess I thought there would be more and I feel like that is such an important it's something I think I myself am still trying to learn like i understand it but i'm still learning it but that is such a unique and important message like it's not necessarily things or you know certain levels of success that make you happy it's like andrew was saying appreciate what you have where you are what's going on here and for me that was one message so i say this movie kind of has two messages i i think my first one i think is kind of like that and appreciate the little things like somebody playing music in a subway how pizza smells and tastes the beauty of leaves and leaves falling and whatever that little twirly thing with the seed is at the bottom that flo- that falls at the end <laughs> i don't know what it's called exactly but like like that's a unique looking shape for a leaf and it falls in a unique way so somebody who's never seen that before might look at that and go wow you know it's really the little things and that is one of my absolute favorite things about this movie i'll totally sign on with this jake like the the first message in particular, I think, is the one that it really hits the hardest on is that an individual thing or an individual moment is not going to turn your life around and make you happy. Happiness is gratitude for the life you've have and have been having and just appreciating who you are and the steps you've taken to get here and the direction that you're going, whether it's one direction or it shifts over time. Everything's good as long as you are content with your state of being and can face yourself and face the music, if you will. And I think that Joe Gardner's arc is a really, really good one because you're right, he's selfish for a good chunk of the movie, but not in a mean way. No, kind of a um, natural way. He's very way. passionate. And I think a lot of people might look at themselves and say, wow, I'm kind of like that. But instead of music, it's Pokemon or, instead, or sports <laughs> or whatever whatever it is. And Just, ha- just hypothetically Pokemon. That was just hypothetically <laughs> Pokemon, you know? <laughs> For us, I'm sure that there are some people in our lives, like the barbershop guy, who's just like, oh my God, can this guy stop talking about movies for once? <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. and passions are important, but so is appreciating your family and uh, a random cat on the street or whatever it is. And all those little moments make for a very beautiful message. And um, I agree. The montage was the best way to put that out because you can insert your own words and dialogue into that moment that best relate to you. And I think that was really, really powerful. Yeah. First of all, kind of talking about, we didn't go specifically into Joe Falls into this place that's the great before um, and these different amalgamations of the coming together of the universe, a.k.a. Jerry, voiced very nicely by Alice Braga <laughs> and Rich Iode. 
um, and a bunch of other actors playing this concept of a Jerry that gives people their spark. Uh, and Joe is talking to the Richard Iode Jerry and talking about how she didn't have a purpose. Why did she get her spark? And Jerry goes like, you humans, this is that's such a simplification of the concept. That's not what we do here. You guys and the society that we live in build up expectations and milestones that we need to be hitting, and those are our purpose to get through life. But in reality, it's good enough to just live. And that was such a powerful moment for me as well. Let's kind of get into the big controversial topic because it kind of gets into, well, uh, the idea that they put 22 inside of Joe. Now, it's controversial for one reason. Uh, and that reason being Tina Fey, a white woman's voice inside of Jamie Foxx's character, uh, an African-American, obviously, and people are mad about the representation of that. And we can get into that to a second. But I think conceptually, story-wise, putting 22 in Joe's shoes is a very clever idea because she doesn't know all these things that we take for granted. And and there's this childlike wonder about her that you know makes us realize how great life can be with just the little things. And... That controversy, at first, when I saw, I didn't read into it at first. I just saw people were mad at Soul. And I'm like, what are people mad at Soul? I just watched it. I don't understand why people are mad. And then I read about it. And I'm like, oh, you know what? It is a little bit of that, you know, that white savior kind of concept. I kind of understand what they're saying. You know, like, is Tina Fey really good as 22? Yeah. But it could have been like a Rosario Dawson, a Tessa Thompson, a Zendaya, a, a Tiffany Haddish. Like... Why not, you know? I kind of understand what they're saying. Why not cast a more fitting role? Like, Tina Fey's fine. I think she's really good as it, as 22. But they could have cast a slew of other people that would have been more fitting, you know? Yeah. Hmm. I'm. It, it's a concept that I, I, I did think people were stretching a little bit, but I'm not of a person or of a place to say that it didn't bother me. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be a, right. I wouldn't be a person that yeah, would be bothered I, by that. I had not known about this controversy until you just brought it up. So consider me informed now. Um, <laughs> as a as a straight white male, I don't really think I have much authority over the, over the topic. <laughs> yeah. we'll Agreed. Leave I... it to leave it to people who know better. Yeah. Um, but that is an interesting point. If twenty two is just an abstract concept, it right. could have been any voice. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, especially when there's such diversity with the Jerry's and the Terry's. Uh, which, by the way, we haven't brought up Terry yet. Not a villain, but uh, Rachel House, who is a very accomplished voice actress, does a really good job. She's very funny as Terry, who's just the <laughs> who takes his job too seriously. We all know those types. Yes. I'm sometimes that type. Yes. <laughs> I, I definitely liked the the humor from the, the Great Beyond. My only complaint is that for as beautiful as the movie is, I almost thought it was a little bit of a cop-out for all these, like, soul characters to just be lines like 2d lines i almost thought like you could have come up with a more creative design than that pixar it's it's actually funny you you mentioned that because when they flash you the great beyond it's like it really does feel like whoa mm -hmm. so in the actual great before i like that it's kind of bubbly and that it's got this like soft feeling but there is some – I kind of agree with you, Nate. I don't know if you were – if it is in visual or if it's in kind of conceptual like you were saying before we got into spoilers. There's just something about it that never quite clicks with me. Kind of like you know we were saying about the inside – in the inside-out mind. 
there's just something about it. I would have liked another, and I couldn't tell you what. I'm not an expert, but I would have, I would have liked to see something else to it. Yeah, it's it's so broad that it almost feels generically broad, but it's also the point. So it's weird. <laughs> I, right. I, I hear you. Just so I can clarify, because I did have a. It, this is a nitpick for me. It's not like a an issue, but you have an issue with how the with how Jerry and Terry are designed. It's not so much an issue. I just thought it was odd for such a gorgeous movie for them to just look so flat. <laughs> I had more of an issue with how like 22 and the blue souls are designed in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If I was going to have a gripe with any of them, uh it's just that these like they're just these blue blobs. I think they could have done better in terms of that kind of design. I wouldn't say it was an issue or anything like that. Right. In in the grand scheme of things, Pixar just tackled the idea of soul and purpose and life on earth and we're you know, <laughs> we're criticizing it, but right. something about yeah. the design that I just, not that it's bad. I just think it could have been better. It's hard. It's harder to connect with. And mm-hmm. I think that might be some of the disconnect that's keeping us from Royal Thrones or something like that. That said, the, the great beyond thing, all those infinite white dots on the blanks page, and then <laughs> top it all off with the bugs zapper sound yeah when souls were entering <laughs> holy crap i laughed so hard <laughs> and then when he falls before he falls to the great before and he becomes 2d and black and white for a second like what a visualization of that crossing over so, like oh man that felt like it was animation porn you know what i mean like like the animators were <laughs> like watch this hold my beer <laughs> yeah I, I i do not want to say that pixar wasn't creative for this movie because they absolutely were yeah it's just more in individual moments like that rather than like the scenery of the great beyond because that could have been made in like trolls too you know just like the home village was just green grass and blue skies and just like okay we're here now but you're not focused on that you're focused on the characters right i i think conceptually we've kind of been talking about how this movie is more for adults and a lot of the humor is that way too like there are so many different little references that, like, the Knicks joke is the big one that got me as a sports fan. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was the joke of the movie. Yeah, Easy. even for a not-sports <laughs> guy, I laughed out loud at that. I'm like, that's so funny. <laughs> the the thought that <laughs> that could be how luck works. Like, Yeah, both directors are, are big Knicks fans, so there was kind of just ribbing. It was, like, self. Oh, that's funny. Um, but <laughs> all these past mentors, which you yeah. were hinting at earlier, Nate. I really like mm-hmm. those, too. How Marie Antoinette, like, is just ahead like stuff like that. Uh, there's a there's a line <laughs> where they have these different places where you go to get semblances of your personality, and one of the one of the Jerry's is like, we should stop sending people through the self-absorbed pavilion. <laughs> no kid is gonna understand what that means, but we're just like, we as adults have dealt with so many self-absorbed people that it's such a really funny but broad concept for us to laugh at. Totally. Yeah, the idea of the zone I thought was really cool. This has been a tough couple of weeks for hedge fund managers because uh, of things that are going on in Wall Street and also how they're visualized here, where it's the yeah. ultimate soul-sucking <laughs> position. Uh, yeah. But I also like the idea that it's not just people who have no will. It's also the idea that people who get too obsessed mm-hmm. that also could fall into this lost soul concept. You know, when their passion becomes obsession and it's it really literally becomes soul-sucking at that point. Yeah. I know you're a big Graham Norton guy. Uh, pretty great to see him in a role like that. I this, thought he right? was really good, actually. Yeah. I was I was like, that's an interesting <laughs> was a <laughs> choice. I thought he would. He did a really good job. He was really fun. And it's pretty much just Graham Norton being himself, I think. But like, right. it really worked there. He was good casting. 
This movie's really well cast. Uh, I haven't said enough about Jamie Foxx. I think he does a fantastic job. Yeah, we really job. haven't talked about Jamie Foxx. He, he's so good. Yeah, it's, it's an absolutely perfect choice given his skill set and what we know about him as a persona. But he brings a lot of like gravitas to just the different moments but also, Joe never feels unlikable, too. It's such an interesting and important balance. Even when he's a cat, which we have not talked about yet. <laughs> that was like the big yeah. twist of the movie in the second act is, yeah, that, that cat on the poster. Joe is that cat for most of this movie. I like that it gives him an opportunity to watch from afar. It ends up working really well. But if I'm going to be and I didn't have as much of an issue with it the, my second time around. But the first time I watched it, when he gets teleported to the cat, I actually, admittedly, I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, are we doing a body switch thing, Pixar? So many people do that. You guys are like the creative masters. But it does work, and they make it work. And I didn't I didn't have much of a gripe with it the second time, but really. I totally hear you, but it fulfilled the purpose. It does, okay yeah. It, you know? It does. From a plot perspective, you totally need to have Joe detached a little bit to, like you said, Drew, see from afar and kind of view his life through another lens. I will say, though, that it's probably the weakest act of the movie for me is that second act, because there's, oh, really? there's just a lot of your standard body swap jokes in there. Like, <laughs> how do I shave as a cat? <laughs> I, I don't know how to use my legs or, right. uh, oops, I ripped my pants kind of stuff. And they're funny in spurts, but I think... The movie's its best in its third act and the first act. See, that's interesting. I actually thought the, not that it's the movie's ever bad, but I kind of thought the first act was probably my least favorite because that second act is where you really start to see him on his journey, which I really started to like really get into. And then obviously the third act just brings everything home and does an amazing job. But like that second act has that, you know, has that barber scene that we didn't talk about yet. Like I think there's a lot of, and uh, 22 Mm. Inside Joe discovering things that she loves about Earth. I love all of that. So for me, the second act works pretty well. The second act is also easily the most kid-friendly of the three acts. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's true too. Right. A lot of those, like the ripped pants joke and stuff, obviously we don't laugh at it, but like it's to make sure that the kids don't feel like they're literally in class. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) there are little silly things like that, but then you'll also have the scene like when Joe and uh, his mother, brilliantly played by the fantastic Felicia Rashad, they kind of have their confrontation, and that's another great showcase for Doctor's filmmaking where he has the camera revolve around. You start hearing 22, and then you hear Joe's voice uh, as he confronts his mom about her disappointment in him or his her seeming disappointment in him. Uh, so mm-hmm. there are still really good things there. Uh, oh, totally. All right, guys, we need to wrap this up here. Uh, as great and as dense as this movie is, it's time to say goodnight. So... Final thoughts on Soul. Let's start with Nate Longarini. All right, yeah. It's Pixar. I'm going to recommend it because they totally stick this landing again. It's a great piece. As we've been talking about, very conceptual piece this time. Um, so adults get on this. Kids, if you're into it, you're into it. But I think really a lot of a lot of adults need to see this movie and just breathe for a little bit. <laughs> the world's very stressed out right now and righteously so for a lot of different reasons this is a good escape movie a good feel-good movie it brings with all the joys that pixar does it will pull your heartstrings it'll make you laugh it'll have you in awe at these beautiful pictures that the the artists behind this movie paint for you all in all it's the complete package you really can't go wrong with soul 
big thumbs up for me. Liked it a lot. Go ahead, Jake. Uh, yeah, same. I think there's a lot of that it has to say. I think there's a lot of good messages. There's even a lot of good scenes. Like we talked about, you know, him and his mom, the scene in the barbershop where he just assumed this guy was destined to be a barber. And it turns out, no, he just did it to pay the bills. And he ended up happy where he is. He figured it out. He figured out a way to be happy with his life, even though his dream fell flat. There's a lot of great stuff like that in this movie. Um, so I think it has a lot to say. I think it's exceptionally well-written. Uh, it visually is great. Voice acting is great. Nate sounded like he explained it better than me. It just to me felt like there was something a little bit missing. It just falls short of a royal throne, but it really is great. There's really no reason for anybody not to watch this. Like certain movies are not for everybody. Everybody can watch this movie and like it to an extent. So yeah, I would say definitely recommend Nate and I were the low men <laughs> and we're highly recommending it. So yeah, definitely go watch Soul. The fact that this is a royal throne for me and is probably not in my top five of Pixar movies tells you everything you need to know about the quality of work the studio puts out. It's remarkable. It's just remarkable how they continue to hit the bars, the quite frankly unreasonable expectations we have for them. (laughs) But you heard, if you you listen to this podcast all the way through, thank you, uh, but you heard at the beginning some of our concepts for pitching a Pixar movie, and a lot of them are high concept things that are really, really difficult to translate and get across not only through film in general, but to be a widespread, potentially billion-dollar movie. They don't have the luxury of being like an indie animated movie. These are meant for everybody. And the fact that they can entertain generally like Soul does and be as funny and clever and sweet as it is, while also just getting into the nitty-gritty of what makes us a person. It's, just, it's mind-blowing. It's like you feel like Jaden Smith watching this thing. They are going to continue to hit different topics like this, and Soul is yet another high point in what has been a series of high points across 25, now 26 years as a studio. That'll do it for our review of Soul. Before we go, Nate Lungarini, where can our friends find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Thank you for joining us in this wholesome episode of The Middle Seats Podcast. Uh, If you want to hear something that's a little bit more argumentative, listen to our tenant review. Uh, If you want to hear something that's a little more down, Listen to our Wonder Woman 1984 review. We will be back soon. We don't know exactly what we're going to be reviewing yet, but it will be probably something on the horizon from 2021 as we get into the thick of this year and the bigger movies start to come out. So that'll do it. For Nate Lungarini and Jay Kensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.